If you would please turn in your Bible, if you have one, to the Gospel of Luke chapter 24. I know it's Easter, but we're just going to pick up where we have been and where we left off in the Gospel of Luke. I'll be reading Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing Him. And He said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to him, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus... Of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, Some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and when they did not find His body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that He was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but Him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. And so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if He were going farther, but they urged Him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So He went in to stay with them. When He was at table with them, He took the bread blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized Him. And He vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road, while He opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. 
And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray. Father, You have acted throughout history. And You have acted by sending Your own Son to become one of us, yet without sin, to die for us. And You have raised Him to eternal, immortal life forever. And You made sure there were many witnesses. And here we have it. In the ears of all of us in here, I pray that You open our eyes to see the beauty and the infinite glorious happiness that is in Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Christianity is built upon the historical bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. God acted in Jesus to save sinners from the coming future judgment. We all in this room have sinned. Every one of us will meet justice. And justice to stand there with our sin means for us condemnation. And yet, God sent His only Son. And before He ever came, He foretold of His Son's coming in the Hebrew Scriptures. And through the prophets, over many centuries, picturing exactly what Jesus would accomplish. And then He came and fulfilled those by suffering and dying, bearing the penalty for sins, and rising from the dead on the third day after having satisfied the justice of God that was against us sinners and providing, therefore, eternal forgiveness and conquering death. That's the Gospel. That's what Gospel... Gospel means good news. Hear ye, hear ye, let me tell you what's happened. That's it. The good news of what God accomplished in Jesus Christ. Now here's the big question. How do we know that's true? Here's the answer. God sent witnesses. Twofold. On the one hand, before Jesus was ever born of Mary and became a human being, he sent the witnesses of Moses and all the prophets to tell beforehand 
what Jesus would accomplish in His death and resurrection. And then after Jesus came in the fullness of time and accomplished it, God picked, chose, appointed eyewitnesses of Jesus' real, literal, physical, immortal resurrection in order to testify that yes, He has risen. And if we believe their testimony, we will be saved from the judgment to come. If we do not believe their testimony, we are already standing before God condemned and guilty. Before we look at this historical testimony and account in Luke 24 for a moment, I want you to turn to Acts 17 if you have a Bible. In other words, what I want to do is from the first Easter Sunday, I want us to jump into the future 20 years later. And across the Mediterranean to a faraway place called Athens, Greece, where the Apostle Paul, before the philosophical-minded Athenians, was asked to say, give us what you're really about here, Paul. What's your message? And at the end of that message, this is what Paul says in Acts 17, starting with verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this, He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. Every human being is called to repent. And this repentance, he says, is crucial because God is going to judge every soul in righteousness by a man, Jesus Christ. Every human being, Christian, pagan, Buddhist, Muslim, every human being will stand before this man one day. But now notice the last thing Paul said in this sermon. And of this, He, God, has given... This is strange. You've got to pay attention. He's given assurance to everybody, to all, by raising Him from the dead. He's given assurance to all. Now, first, it's got to mean this, doesn't it? Twenty years after Jesus' death, over in Athens, that day, He means those Athenians, doesn't He? He's got to. Today I'm preaching and He's given assurance that this Gospel is true to you Athenians 20 years down the road because He raised Jesus from the dead. 
That's what, so, I mean, simply, he's got a meme 300 years later in northern Africa. Or 2,000 years later in China. Or here in the South Bay area of Los Angeles. He has given us assurance that this message is true. What Paul is saying is that the resurrection of Jesus is designed by God to be a worldwide assurance that repentance and faith in Jesus is necessary. Now here's the question then. Really? I mean, how does that work? How is it that Jesus' resurrection from the dead on that Sunday after Passover, 2,000 years ago now, how is that an assurance to us today? But this is the only way of salvation. Here's the answer. God intended for the resurrection of Jesus to be known and believed through human witnesses. There were no iPhones taking a video of Jesus or photographs. Or on the road to Emmaus, let's take a selfie, Jesus, and here's our proof. But God saw to it that there were many eyewitnesses to Jesus' post-death transformed, human, resurrected body on many different occasions. And He did it so that they, those witnesses, would all be fully convinced of His very unnatural resurrection. And that they could therefore go and witness and tell it and write it so that we, down the road, could read it or be in Athens 20 years later and hear Paul tell it. And that witness then will spread throughout the whole world as valid assurance that this resurrection of Jesus from Nazareth really happened. Or or as another one of the witnesses said in the book of Acts chapter 10, when Peter went to the Gentile house, he's concluding his message to them this way, starting with verse 40. But God raised Him from the dead on the third day and made Him, Jesus, to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. That is, us who ate and drank with Him after He rose from the dead. God's Design in saving people was not for the risen Lord Jesus to be seen by everyone. 
Not only then, but down through the ages. Not even two months later or six years later when Peter preached that, or 20 years later when Paul preached it, or 2,000 years later. That's not how God is doing it. But instead, it is the way Luke put it in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. And to the apostles whom He has chosen, He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering. And He did it by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the Kingdom of God. We know from these witnesses that there was a time where the resurrected Lord Jesus was talking to and appearing to an audience of 500 disciples. We know He's appeared to women. And the main point here of what Luke is saying, yes, all that's true, and He even lets us know, we'll see that in a minute, but these 12 chosen apostles are the core witnesses who are to tell it Proclaim it. Write it. So that down the line, a confused, depressed 19-year-old kid sitting in his living room in El Segundo, California in 1981 could pick up what they wrote for the first time in his life and read it and hear their testimony and have his life forever. That's what we have in our passage now. Turn back there to Luke chapter 24. We're going to start where we left off now at verse 13, but just a little recap what happened before this. Jesus was finally, after gruesome torture, dead. Took him down. They took the time to clean him, to cover him with spices and perfumes that smelled so it would kill the odor of a decaying body, and wrapped him in the linen cloths and carried him to the garden and put him in that cave, which is the tomb, the cave area, and laid him there. And all of that was done by late Friday afternoon. The Sabbath happens, nothing is going on. Early Sunday morning, the women, close, intimate friends of His, followers of His from Galilee, went to the tomb to apply more spices. And they get there and they found the stone rolled away. And they look inside and the body is gone. And then they have the bejeebies scared out of them by a supernatural happening. An angel talks to them and says, His body's not stolen. It's not here. This Jesus who is very dead is risen. He's alive. They go back into Jerusalem they, where everyone's hanging out and they tell the 11 apostles and the other 30 or 70 or 80. I don't know how many there were. There were a bunch of disciples there. They tell them. Most of them think the women are out of their mind. But we saw Peter and John at least. There may have been others. We know of those two. They got up, went through the streets, 
ran to the tomb, looked in, went in, the body's gone. But the linen cloths are still there wrapped around nothing, as if Jesus went right through the cloth. And as John says in his personal account, I saw and believed. Okay, that's where we were. Let's pick up now at verse 13. This is the same day, Sunday of the resurrection. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Okay, for a moment, these two guys are part of these very depressed and downcast disciples. They are not any of the apostles. They're not of the eleven. They're part of... Look at verse 9 for a moment. See verse 9 there? The women, after the tomb, they came back. Returning from the tomb, they went and told all these things to the eleven apostles and to all the rest. Okay, these guys, I think it's two guys, are part of all the rest. And one of them is named Cleopas. Luke tells us that. So they either live in Emmaus or that's where they've been boarding and after the Sabbath, they couldn't you know, leave during the Sabbath, they were going back home and they're on the road and they're overcome with grief. Their hopes that Jesus was the promised Messiah have been dashed to the ground. Now, these disciples, they knew Jesus personally. Jesus knew them. And yet we read, starting with verse 15 in our text, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing Him. And He said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Okay, first, God here had a plan. He had a lesson to teach. And therefore, God acted. Here's the resurrected. The very same Jesus, very same body, yet very different. Immortal. Is standing with these two guys. And God prevented them from recognizing who He was. Why? I think the answer is obvious in the text. He did it so that the conversation that we're going to read now would continue. And He did it so that the resurrected Lord Jesus, that great biblical exegete, could masterfully expound the Scriptures to them. 
Jesus wanted to teach an extremely important lesson about trusting the written Word of God before He allowed these guys to witness His resurrection. And so, Jesus says, what are you guys talking about? They stopped. You gotta see, you're stunned. That question, because Jesus was there. He's walking with them. He's listening a little bit. And he finally said, what are you talking about? And they're stunned. <laughs> You've got to be kidding. I mean, th- this is like 9-11 to them. But on 9-13, two days later, going anywhere in America, and you're talking about Twin Towers coming down? And someone says, what are you talking about? Does that person exist? This is what they're thinking. How do you not know? And so Jesus says to them, what things? Read on. And they said to Him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed, and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priest and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And yes, besides this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. And moreover, Some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb this morning, early in the morning. And when they did not find His body, they came back saying to us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that Jesus is alive. And some of those who were with us, we know at least Peter and John, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but Him... Jesus they did not see. Okay, hear, this, hear what they, their answer to Jesus. They're depressed. They hoped that Jesus was the promised Messiah in the Hebrew Scriptures. That's, see it? That He was the one to redeem Israel. And they're saying, but our hopes were dashed. They had Him arrested, turned Him over, and killed Him. So, so far for these two, the dots were not connecting. Even the women's report about the empty tomb and that an angel appeared and said what they said, it didn't yet quite break through their depression. And these guys had not allowed the Bible to change their worldview. Their view of the Messiah. They had no category for the truth of how God was redeeming and saving. And so these guys said to this stranger on the road, This is, let me unfold it, this is what's happened. And they're so sad about it. And that pain and that depression and that disappointment that came out in their words, Jesus wanted that to happen 
I say that from the text because Jesus could have not closed their eyes and we wouldn't have gotten any of that. But He wanted them to express what they felt and what they thought. In other words, this conversation here was necessary. And so Jesus responds to them starting with verse 25. And He said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And then Luke says, and beginning with Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. So Jesus' response is, starts this way, Oh, foolish men. Now, now that O oh in English, we know that it is an interjection, and it is an interjection in the Greek that, that Luke gives us, and it sounds like this in Greek. Oh, it's just the, it's the omega. And it is purposely emotional on Jesus' part to show His disappointment in the foolish failure of these disciples to read the Bible carefully and believe it. See, at this point, these guys don't know this is Jesus. He's just a stranger to them, but their ears have shot up. They certainly believed the prophets. But they didn't really believe all that the prophets had said. That's Jesus' rebuke. See verse 25? Notice the emphasis on the word all. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. In other words, they were much like us. Yes, they believed the Scriptures. They read them. They believed them selectively. They believed the truth that the Scriptures talked about concerning the Messiah, the Son of David, who would sit on the throne, who would bring in the reign of God, the eternal reign, redemption for Israel. That's true. They read it. They believed it. But they ignored the passages about the Messiah having to suffer first. It's much like us. We pick up, whether it's the Old Testament or New Testament, and we read stuff like, you didn't choose me. 
I chose you. We read stuff like, your faith in me has totally changed your life. Like I talked about me of 1981. You read and he says, that's because I, the Sovereign One, caused that to happen in you. We read stuff about the depths of our sin and that we really do deserve what the Bible says we deserve. Oh, we read stuff like God's divine election. We take these things and say, no, can't really mean that. And so we leave it behind and we take those other little nuggets that that really fit nicely with our worldview. And we move on. Well, that's what they're doing. And Jesus calls them foolish people. Slow of heart to believe all the Bible. And so then Jesus starts with the book of Genesis. And He moves through. He he didn't have a scroll. He didn't need a scroll. He had this thing memorized by heart. And He teaches, unfolds, now, many of you who, who know me know how I loved my hermeneutics class under my professor Daniel Fuller in seminary. But this must have been extraordinary. The living, eternal Word of God Himself, incarnate, dead, raised, is there unfolding The text of Scripture. This Jesus stuck to the written Word of God and brought out the meaning that was there. You see that word there? He interpreted to them. That word interpreted is the Greek word from where we get the word, and some of you never heard the word, I know, but we get the word hermeneutics. The art and the science of biblical interpretation. The Apostle John in in his narrative in, in the Gospel of John just constantly takes pains to show us this is what happened, boom, and then go to the Old Testament. Fulfilling that. You can see it again and again. Matthew, they keep doing the same thing because Jesus' actual historical real life and suffering and death and resurrection were there in the Hebrew Scripture. For instance, Jesus Himself said in John 5, starting with verse 39, You search the Scripture because you think that in the Scripture you have eternal life. And He makes a stunning comment. It is they the Scripture that bear witness about Me. And it is that same conviction that the Old Testament, in other words, as a whole, was throughout pointing to and about Christ. That conviction is what drove the Apostle Paul in his missionary preaching and journeys. As when he ended up later in life in a courtroom before King Agrippa, this is what he said 
in Acts chapter 26. I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying about Christ, Jesus, Christianity, saying nothing but what the Old Testament said. What the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. That is this, that the Christ must suffer. And that by being the first to rise from the dead, He would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. He says, historically, it could all be seen what was written long before Jesus was born of Mary. And we unfold it in light of what has happened and what we bear witness to. Or, for instance, when Philip, a non-apostle, encounters the Ethiopian eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch is reading his Bible. He's open to Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. And he reads it and he asks Philip, who is Isaiah 53 here talking about? And in Acts 8.35, Luke tells us, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this Scripture, Isaiah 53, he told him the good news about Jesus. That's who it's about. Or Peter, preaching in Cornelius' house, he said it this way, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the One appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. Now watch what He says. And to Him, Jesus the Christ, and to Him, all the Old Testament prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. So Jesus, who knows, an hour, two, three, I don't know how long this went on. It must have been one glorious, long sermon starting with Moses and going throughout the Old Testament. It must have been something else for these two guys when they look back on what they had experienced because they didn't know who it was yet. But this stranger is explaining all the Scriptures concerning the Christ. And Jesus' main thrust in what He was saying to them was to show in the Scriptures that the Messiah, the Christ, must by necessity suffer and die. He showed them that His scourging, mockery, and humiliation, and crucifixion had to happen before He entered into His glory. But these guys, like all the first century Jews, they latched on to the parts of Scripture about the Messiah's glorious, conquering reign but never took into account the Bible that made it clear that the redemption of Israel and ultimately of the Gentiles required the Messiah to offer Himself as the Lamb of God, pictured all through the sacrificial system. I've got to think that for years to come, Cleopas and 
the other disciple would look back on that day remembering the stuff that Jesus taught them on the road. I I, got to think Jesus starting with Genesis just started from right off the bat in Genesis 3 saying, guys, do you not see that the seed of the woman was going to crush Satan's head? Do you not see that the Christ was to come to become a human being through a woman and that He would suffer and die and rise from the dead destroying the works of Satan in people's lives? He must have pointed to Abraham and almost killing Isaac and saying, no! And there is a ram caught in a fence. Get the ram and kill it as a substitute and let Isaac go free. Do you not see? It's a picture, guys, of the Christ. He must have taken them to Exodus. We counted the Passover. Yes, the angel of death and of judgment passed over every soul upon whom the blood was placed. Guys, that was a picture of the Christ as you think about what's happened here in Jerusalem over the last three days. must have taken Him to the Day of Atonement. The priest laying the hands on the scapegoat, imputing the sins of the people off into the wilderness. There it goes. That's a picture of Christ. He must have talked about the tabernacle, the house of God, presence of God and say, do you not see that God was with us? That the Christ came and He, God, tabernacled with us. Oh, as He takes Him through the whole sacrificial system and the priesthood and the high priesthood and time and again He can show them how these were just pictures shadows of the reality of the Christ who was to come. He's saying, guys, do you not see? That's the meaning of what's happened over the last few days. Maybe Jesus took these other pictures like the manna that comes down from heaven and the people fed off of. Pointing to the Christ. Or the bronze serpent in the wilderness that was held up in order to be saved. A picture of the Christ. But clearly, Jesus took him to Isaiah 53, where it is so stark, so clear that the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of David would come and He would be scourged. He would suffer for the sins of others that He would be numbered with the transgressors and He would die. That's verses 1-9. to And then He said, look at the next couple of verses. He then finds Himself alive again where He is satisfied by that work. And He triumphs. It's right there, guys, in Isaiah. Oh, He must have quoted from beginning to end Psalm 22 which starts with what these guys heard a few days earlier standing in the background on Golgotha. My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? And as he goes through the rest of that psalm, it is 
uncanny how it pictures what was happening on that little hill that day of the mockery of the people and of the leaders to God the Son. He must have quoted Psalm 2-7. The Lord said to me, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. He must have quoted Psalm 110-1. The Lord said, David said, To my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then said to these guys, Do you see, for Him to get to glory there and sit at the right hand of God meant He had to go through Isaiah 53. He had to go through suffering and death and make atonement for the people and then rise. Don't you see? Sounds like that's what these women reported to you about what the angel said. I think he went a lot longer and I just went. But the more that this stranger opened up the Scriptures to them on that road, the more their hearts raised. They're thinking, this is just a stranger. This guy is established for us that the suffering and, and the death of Jesus whom we love so much was not necessarily an obstacle to Him being the Christ, the Messiah. But in fact, in fact, it made Jesus of Nazareth's claim to be the Messiah all the more credible. The preached Word to them on the road was melting away their confusion and their sadness. The Bible was coming alive to them. They were believing the Scriptures before Jesus removed the veil of their eyes so they can see the physical reality of who was talking. Go to the next verse, 28. And so they drew near to the village to which they were going. And He, Jesus, acted as if He was, were going further. But they urged Him strongly. I can imagine. Don't stop teaching, please. They urged Him strongly saying, well, use any excuse they can, stay with us, for it is toward the evening. It's dangerous out there on the roads at night. The day's far spent. It's going to be dark soon. Please stay. And so, He went in to stay with them. When He was at table with them, He took the bread and blessed broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized their dear friend. They recognized Him.
what all happened? This is what many scholars postulate, and it makes sense because of what's going to come later too. But what, what you get, don't, don't miss one thing. One thing that did happen is God, in His sovereign touch and will, who had blinded their eyes on purpose, now said, Let's take the blinders out. Look who this is. That's what happened. But the way that the text says, and what they will say later, I just got to think. It's, and it's weird. What, maybe this guy's a master teacher and why they let Jesus, this stranger, do the blessing, which was abnormal because it was in his house. But he did the blessing. He broke the bread and he handed it to him, revealing also the holes in his wrists. They recognized him and his face. And he vanished. And he vanished from their sight. What a wonderful shock this must have been. That moment was buried into these two guys' experience and minds for time and for eternity. And then... He was gone. It's a resurrected body. It's not a mortal body. It's the same, but different. And listen to what the two guys said. Verse 32. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road? While He opened to us the Scriptures? To be a believer is to daily seek the burning of our hearts while the Scriptures are opened to us. To say our experience another way, believer, if you belong to Him, hate Fight coldness of heart over Scripture daily. Read on. And they rose that same hour. No, duh. They're not going to go to bed, sleep, and wait for it safe in the morning to make the journey back. No. They rose from the dead that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. And they were saying as they entered, The Lord has risen indeed, Cleopas. And He has appeared to Peter, to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how He, Jesus, was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So they get back to Jerusalem, bouncing there, overwhelmed with joy. Can't wait to tell everybody what 
has happened and what they have experienced. And they get there and they find they didn't get to speak first, but the rest of them are saying, it's true, it's true. Jesus has talked to Peter. And they said, we know it's true. Let us tell you what happened. There were so many of those experiences over the next five to six weeks. I mean, for instance, even Peter's. We have no account of what did it look like, what did Jesus say, where, what. We have no account of it anywhere in the New Testament. There's so many we have no account of. But we do have Paul confirming that later in 1 Corinthians. And then he appeared first, and he means besides the women, he's talking about the apostles here, to Peter, and to the rest, the twelve, and then to his brother James, and then to over 500, and then to one lowly last of all, he appeared to me. Paul, there are so many. He's confirming it. That Sunday, that first day, Peter was encountered by the one he denied on Thursday night. Oh, what a Savior. Because it was not bad news to Peter. Peter, I died for you and rose for your justification before my Father and your Father forever. And so what we have in our journey through Luke is that now, finally, by Sunday night of that first Easter Sunday, the Apostles and others are beginning to grasp the gravity of this wonderful truth. And that they have been chosen for something that's much better than the fellowship of the ring, if you know the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings. This was becoming the fellowship of the burning hearts of those who were being encountered by the resurrected Lord Jesus over the next 40 days. That fellowship of those who, as I started, will be the witnesses who testify. It's true! That fellowship was being constructed by the resurrected Lord Jesus. Himself. And they will testify for all people everywhere down through the centuries that this Jesus has been truly raised indeed. God has given assurance to villages in Africa and South America and pagan Europe Japan, China. He's given assurance as this message goes 
by raising Jesus from the dead and having appointed eyewitnesses to this fact so that everyone can know it's true. The One who created all that is has become a human being in order to suffer the holy, just wrath of God against sinners like me. And we can be assured because He is the first but not the last, one day He will come back and raise from the dead to immortal, everlasting, and finally then, sinless life to enjoy Him forever and never have a boring moment. For everybody who will believe this message. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank You on this Easter Sunday. As Paul said, You did not spare Your own Son, but You gave Him. You delivered Him up to Your wrath on the cross for us all. And thus we can be assured You will surely give us all things we need through this brief mortal life. To the glory of Your Son. Amen.